Hello once again to the Religious Studies Project. I'm David Robertson. I'm Christopher Carter. And this is the penultimate episode of 2017. It is. And but it's the last time we'll be uh, introducing it because next week is our ever exciting festive winter season non-denominal special. Exactly. So you'll get to hear from uh, Jonathan Tuckett recording at the BASR conference in Chester. Indeed. There'll be a, vo- a video version of it uh, will be the main episode, but we'll make an audio as well. Exactly. So we're looking forward to that. This week, um, we're delighted, uh, thanks to NYU Press, to be bringing you an interview with David Feltmate on his book, Drawn to the Gods. And that's conducted by Brianne Fallon. Brianne has been a sterling interviewer over the past year at least. And we'll be hearing more from her, I'm sure, in 2018. But for now, we'll hand over to Brianne. If you were asked to name the TV programs you thought were the most religious, had the most religious content and references, which ones would you name? Seventh Heaven, maybe, or Supernatural, or perhaps Game of Thrones? Well, I was wondering how many of us would actually name The Simpsons or Family Guy or South Park. Because did you know that 95% of Simpsons episodes, 84% of Family Guy episodes and 78% of South Park episodes contain explicit religious references. These animated comedy shows are critically influential in teaching viewers about religious people and religious institutions. The commentary created via the intersection between humour, satire and religion in these TV shows, and specifically their context of America, creates an interesting image of what is supposedly meant to be a good religious American. To discuss this topic today, I have with me Associate Professor David Feltmate, the author of a fantastic new work entitled Drawn to the Gods, Religion and Humour in the Simpsons, South Park and Family Guy. Dave is Associate Professor of Sociology at Auburn University at Montgomery. He received his PhD in Religious Studies from the University of Waterloo in 2011. His research areas include the sociology of religion and religion and popular culture, human studies, social theory, new religious movements, and religion and family. His book, Drawn to the Gods, is available from New York University Press and is the topic of our discussion today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dave. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm really interested how this book came about. Why did you choose to write a book on Really, The Simpsons, South Park, and Family Guy. Um, so, this book really started in the winter of 2005. Uh, I was fresh out of my master's degree at Wilfrid Laurier University. I was living in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. And I was you know, teaching sessionally like a lot of people do. And I was teaching a course in religion and popular culture. And... I had set the course up. Uh, we did, you know, a week on Christianity and popular culture. So we would do a crash course in Christianity, and then an example of Christianity and pop culture and whatever. And what I realized was uh, these classes had sixty-five students in them each. I would have three students that really paid attention every day. Five students who would tune in for the topic of the day, and most people were just kind of there to get credit and they weren't paying attention. And I thought, well, geez, you know, there's a lot of really 
interesting and relevant pop culture stuff. But the way that I started to get there, get them to uh, listen, was I would start quoting Simpsons references at them at the front of the room. And at the time in Canada, uh, there's a Canadian comedian named uh, Brett Butt. And he said, you know, with a good cable package, you can get three hours of The Simpsons every day. And he's pretty close to correct at that point in time. So this stuff was just ubiquitous everywhere. And that's what drew students back in. They knew these religious references, but they had no understanding of the religious traditions at all. They were just you know, coming in and experiencing it for the first time, which led me because I knew I was going to go on and do a Ph.D., uh, which I did at the University of Waterloo. And I said, well, they've got to learn something. What did, what did they learn? Right? Like, what were they being taught through these jokes? So that's what uh, I went off to study. And so I wrote my dissertation on The Simpsons. And that's sort of the very early awkward stages of the book that's there now. And uh, my supervisor, Doug Cowan, uh, I remember distinctly, you know, one day he said, okay, your dissertation is done, but it's not a book yet. It needs comparative data. And I said, well, the obvious comparative data is uh, South Park and Family Guy. And, I mean, now they, they kind of look like legacy programs, but um, that's where it came from, was these shows were widely known, they're critically acclaimed, and... People are learning religious material from them, and I wanted to know what they were learning. And it, over time, it evolved into how, how are they learning this through humor? Because a lot of the literature that I was reading on The Simpsons or South Park, uh, there wasn't, there's still not much written on Family Guy. I just found that people did not ask the question, why are these things funny? They simply worked on the assumption that they were. But I know people that don't find them funny. So I had to ask, you know, what is it about humor that enables people to transmit this information, transmit it in a humorous way? Um, but why are they why are they seeing these things as humorous? Because I know that some people aren't going to, they're either not going to get the joke, or they don't think the joke is funny in the first place. So that's where that's where this book comes from is from teaching and thinking about what it means to talk about religion and religious diversity through humor. So um, in the book, you sort of talk about this idea of, um, you know, sort of using satire and comedy and how that is bringing religion to a, a broad audience and this idea of sort of broad commentary and how this is really teaching the general public about religious people and religious institutions. And I thought we could talk about some specific examples before we sort of move on to the general sort of takeaways from the book. And there are some really interesting examples in the book. I personally really like the ones from The Simpsons because I don't think like you, I've probably watched every episode of The Simpsons, but I'm pretty close. I do really love The Simpsons, and I've watched a lot of Family Guy as well. Um, I think it's really interesting that you say that there's not a lot written on Family Guy, actually, because I would have thought there would have been quite a lot on Family Guy, which is which is an interesting just point on the side. Um, Unless it's exploded 
sorry, unless it's exploded in the last year or so after, you know, the book was finished and it was out there and I just kind of needed a, a break from reading all of the literature. No, there really wasn't a lot on Family Guy. Well, there's a there's a project for any RSP listeners who are looking for a little article just to punch out there. There's some Family Guy there for you. But um, I thought we could start maybe with some interesting, maybe your favourite example from any of the shows, um, maybe um, a new religious movement example. I thought maybe you could start with one of those. Oh, man. Um, do I have a favourite? I don't know if I have a favorite. I know I've watched Homer the Heretic the most, but that's not a new religious movements example. Or, it, well, it depends on how you define new religious movements. That's um, all right. That's a great example anyway. Yeah, well, that's the classic. Yes. That's the sort of Simpsons uh, religion urtext from season four. And it used to be that I could pretty much close my eyes and see that entire episode playing out before me. So uh, the reason that I really love that one is that it encapsulates so much of what would become the running narratives of religion in the Simpsons. You know, there's this sort of um, back and forth with Christianity. There's uh, an open display of Hinduism and Judaism as all of these different kinds of religious traditions that are um, on display and a part of this as part of Springfield, but also a part of just the American fabric, um, which, it, you know, when you, when you consider that that episode was released in what 92, it's early. I think it's 90. I think it's night. Well, it's season four. Four, but I, th- I want to say it's like November 92. Just a second. I've got the book here. It's going to drive me nuts if I don't. The interesting thing about the Home of the Heretic episode, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the one where he eats the, the chili, isn't it? No, that no. is um, – uh, the name is in Spanish and I can't remember, but it's um, The Mystical Journey of Homer. The Mystical uh, Journey of Homer mystical, is another The Mysterious really Voyage of Homer. Yes. El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Yomar. And that one's season eight. Yeah, that one's that one's a great one too. I love Johnny Cash as the coyote that offers spiritual wisdom. And Homer says, you know, should I get rid of my possessions? And the coyote just laughs at him and says, no, if anything, you need more possessions. You don't even have a computer. And uh, yeah, Homer the Heretic was 92. So, um, what, so what happens in um, in Homer the Heretic? So in Homer the Heretic, Homer just decides, I don't want to go to church one day. And he has the best morning of his life. And he you know, attributes it all to not going to church. But Marge has dragged the kids to church. And so there becomes this sort of marital strife between the two of them over Homer not going to church. Uh, he says he forms his own religion. He just, and so he starts doing things like, um, you know, one of my favorite examples is he calls in into work from the bar and says that he can't come in because it's a religious feast day. And he looks up and he said, what, what feast day? And he looks up and he sees a sign that says maximum occupancy. He goes, uh, feast of maximum occupancy. Click. Those kinds of jokes really play on, um, 
this ongoing sentiment in the United States that to be a good American, you've got to be religious. And you see this come out all the time in political discourse in the USA when people are talking about candidates. Um, you know, atheists are among the most mistrusted groups in terms of large polls in the USA. And, uh, and that's still today, right? And this is part of the discourse and debate around Donald Trump is people can't figure out why evangelicals continue to support or came out to support Donald Trump when he's so opposed to the kinds of values that they claim to represent. Uh, certainly, you know, in all of his actions and everything he espouses to. And the Simpsons was sitting there 25 years ago now saying, Hey, you know, um, this is okay. It's okay for people to drop out of church. Then God visits Homer in a dream and, you know, says to Homer, you know, you've forsaken my church. And Homer says, well, you know, I, I try to be a good person. I love my kids. I just want to sleep in on Sunday mornings. And God kind of listens to Homer for a minute. He's cause Homer says, you know, why should I spend every Sunday morning uh, hearing about why I'm going to hell? And God goes, Hmm, you got a point there. You know, some Sundays I'd rather just be watching football. And Homer says, so, you know, I figure I should just try to live right and worship you in my own way. And God looks at Homer and he says, you know, it's a deal. And then ascends into heaven. And that's really um, part of this larger spiritual seeker narrative. Uh, and the ability to pick and choose among different religious options that has become part of the way that sociologists of religion anyway talk about the United States and all of these religious options. Like, I live in a city of 200,000 people, roughly, and there's close to 1,000 churches in the area. If you don't like what's going on in one of them, you can literally... Um, well, I mean, I went to church this morning, and there's a church across the street and another church across the parking lot. It's I was like, it's Church Row over here. Hmm. And if I didn't like, literally, if I didn't like what was being said in my church, I could walk out the back door and in two minutes be in another service. So, um, and that's just among Christian denominations. So the at least you know now I, I live in the American South, so it's different than other parts of the country, right? The the United States is different in its different regions, but that narrative of spiritual seeking, anyway, uh, by the '90s, had become a part and parcel part of the fabric of the United States of America, and that's what I like about Homer the Heretic is it really introduces this spiritual seeking, worshiping God in your own way, do what you want to do, that's fine. Just uh, don't try to impose it on anybody else. That I really found became the core of The Simpsons. Uh, so I don't know if it's my favorite, because I, I mean, I love other episodes. I love The Joy of Sect, which is this, the Movementarians, which is just such a great name for a new religious movement. And uh, as, I, as I show in the book, there's just all these kinds of quick visual references to numerous new religious movements. And so it works really well as a display of, of the cult stereotype. 
and in South Park, the Blaintologists as well are like that. And I, I really like to study that because, again, at the University of Waterloo, I was working with uh, Douglas Cowan and Lauren Dawson, and people who study new religious movements um, will be familiar with those names. And I, you know, I never went in to study new religious movements. I went in to do religion on popular culture. But I said, well, I'm working with two of the top scholars in the world in new religious movements. I'd be an idiot not to pick this up and learn from them. And what I found was that these shows were able – well, let, let me go back here a second. If you go into a classroom now and you ask people what a cult is, they'll usually be able to give you some kind of idea like it's a bad religion. It's um, a group of people who follow some leader and they don't think for themselves. Uh, they're often associated with dangerous kind of religions. And then I say, okay, so you know all of this. How many of you have ever met somebody who's in a cult? And nobody raises their hand. Or actually, I shouldn't say that. I've had one person who knew uh, somebody who was in a group that he considered a cult. And so I had to start asking, well, where do you get this idea from? Um, and Joseph Laycock has a good article in the Journal of the American Academy of Religion on this as well, called Where Do They Get Those Ideas? So, don't want to steal Joe's thunder. Um, and it, what it was is, over time, these images and ideas about cults were repeated through mass media, through jokes, through television – to the point that you could t you could create completely fictitious groups like the Movementarians, with numerous references to all of these different other different groups like um, uh, Rajneesh Purim is in there. Um, certainly, the uh, uh, the Unification Church. There's a mass marriage scene, which is just I, I like to in classes take a picture of uh, a unification church mass marriage and that scene that just a screenshot from the simpsons and say look you know they're almost identical and what it was was it was able to play on a legacy of a particular framing in terms of fear so that you know now generations who have never really encountered some of these movements have a heuristic with which to uh, interpret them. So I thought that was really relevant. That's that's definitely one that I like. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, uh, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash project rs and subscribing we know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning so if you can help um 
either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website. It would be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. This idea of, you know, the TV show being the lens through which this sort of a generation can interpret, you know, religious people and, and religious institutions. You said that, you know, The Simpsons was sort of advocating this idea of of spiritual seeking. Do you think that that's the same for South Park and Family Guy or do you think that they advocate something different? No, I think they advocate, I think each one advocates its own thing. I think South Park is all about individual creativity. Okay. Um, sort of, so there's a couple of South Park episodes, Go, God, Go and Go, God, Go 12, I think is the number. And that came out when Richard Dawkins released The God Delusion. And it was a bestseller. I think The God Delusion is really the book that made this sort of four horsemen of the new atheist movement um, with Sam Harris and uh, Daniel Dennett, who had books out before Dawkins, and then Christopher Hitchens, who had one out afterwards. But I think The God Delusion was really the book that sort of broke the tidal wave for all four books to become uh, now this kind of marker in time. And when it came out in the audio commentary, um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are talking about how Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller was saying, you know, you guys got to come out as atheists and whatever. And Trey Parker's going, but but I'm not an atheist. You know, I'm not a, I don't necessarily believe in God the way that other theists do. But with South Park and... You know, they, they don't like organized religions, but where individual creativity is promoted, um, enhanced, allowed to flourish through religious expression, they really don't have a problem with it. What they have a problem with are hypocrites or people who say things that they just think are is stupid, right? So their, their feud with Scientology uh, versus how they treat um, Latter-day Saints is a good example of that. Like um, the episode All About the Mormons from South Park, which has, you know, Joseph Smith was called a prophet, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, and dum-dum-dum-dum-dum eventually turns into, you know, this whole thing is dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. But the Mormons are the nicest people ever to come to South Park. And at the end of the episode, you know, the Mormon kid Gary just looks at Stan and says, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be your friend, but you were too high and mighty for that. You got a lot of growing up to do, buddy. And I won't finish that quote because there might be children listening at home. That compared to Scientology the Scientology episode trapped in the closet, which basically came out of, you know, they were asking, can we say Tom Cruise is gay? And they say, well, no, that would be libel. Well, can we put him in a closet and then have him refuse to come out of the closet? Yeah, you could do that. Well, they did that. And, but then they ended up, you know, also making fun of Scientology at the same time. And they were just vicious towards Scientology saying that it's a big fat global scam. 
Well, that's because they see the two different religions very differently. They don't think Scientology produces good people the way that the Latter-day Saints do. And that's, that's where you can find, in, in those kind of comparative nuances is where you can find the real, I think, um, standards that South Park puts out there. A family guy, family guy is atheist, uh, comes, uh, you know, Seth MacFarlane has come out as a very prominent voice uh, in atheist circles. And early on in the program, there was, um, so the first three seasons of Family Guy, there's more willingness to play with uh, the possibility that religious identities might be good things. But by the time you hit about season six or seven, uh, all the all the religious traditions are treated as stupid, and in some cases, very dangerous. That's really interesting that the like the, the three project something completely different because, you know, um, what people can you know take from them is you know, the, the images they're getting about religious people in religious institutions and, you know, that sort of broad commentary is, is so varied and that idea of, of, you know, spiritual seeking is is so varied. And, you know, one thing that, you know, came out so not so strongly in the book, but one thing I found really interesting in the book were the examples about atheism and about, you know, um, spiritual but not religious in the three different TV shows because talking about just then the different, you know, The Simpsons is being spiritual seeking and South Park is being this idea of creativity and then Family Guy is being atheist, then their representation is uh, of atheism and as spiritual but not religious in the show, in each show, is very different. And I think it's interesting to see atheism and, and spiritual but not religious in this context, because I don't necessarily know it's, that it's something that we see on, on TV a lot. No, and for me, one of the big things was, so I'm also trained as a sociologist of religion. And in the United States, whenever a major survey of religious affiliation is released. So let's say the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life releases a major survey. Um, it, it gets boiled down to the number of Christians versus everybody else in, in media play. And one of the things that I was noticing really early on is there's almost a fight in political and popular culture in the United States over who owns um, the unaffiliated, what the, who the unaffiliated are, you know, even that, even that term is a problem because it, it assumes that, you know, they're not just being themselves and they're their own distinct group, just like Christians and Jews and Muslims are, I mean, if you start looking at American religious statistics, there's a couple thousand different denominations that get lumped into different families for statistical purposes. Um, but there was this real question, uh, and I saw this coming from, from new atheists, people like Bill Maher, um, where he would claim that people who weren't affiliated 
with religion were somehow atheists like him. And I, I started looking at the numbers and looking at what people in those groups were saying. And I went, you know, spiritual but not religious is really a catch-all category for all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's a very, in terms of what people are doing on the ground, it's a very creative place where two people could say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And the only thing you would have to com- the only grounds you would have to compare what they're doing is the fact they both say I'm spiritual but not religious. And I think The Simpsons, in one way, and South Park in another way, kind of capture that. Um, and how they treat atheism in both in all three programs is also distinct, right? Like South Park tends to treat atheists like they treat other religious extremists. Um, in, in one episode, uh, Red Hot Catholic Love, which is on one hand about the Catholic uh, sexual abuse scandals that were coming out of Boston at the time when it was revealed, uh, or sorry, when it was re- when that episode was released. When the people in town find out that you know their kid that kids are being abused in the Catholic Church, not in the local Catholic Church, but in the Catholic Church overall, they all decide to to quit and become atheists. And uh, one of the subplots in that episode is that uh, Cartman discovers that if you stuff food up your butt, you end up pooping out your mouth. And so, long story short, all the atheists. Basically, it's the Surgeon General comes out and says, "Oh yes, this is a much healthier way to eat." So all the atheists start shoving food up their up their butts and crapping out their mouths. And one of the punchlines in the episode is Father Maxi, the Catholic priest, says, "You just sit around spewing a bunch of crap out your mouth while one of the atheists is busy literally crapping out his mouth." Um, and that's really, I, I think, one of South Park's attacks on atheism is they see it as too extreme they uh going back to go god go 12 there's really this sense that um you know they've got this race of enlightened sea otters in the future and the the wise one comes out and says uh about richard dawkins you know he had some great ideas and I'm paraphrasing here, he had some great ideas, but that doesn't mean that he was correct on everything. Maybe, you know, just believing in God makes God exist. And then all the other otters gang up and kill him. And in the future, you know, atheists in those episodes, in the future, atheists are at war with each other over what all the atheists should call themselves. So it's not like atheism solves the problem of, you know, religious violence, which is what a lot of atheists were claiming at the time, or at least prominent ones. So, yeah, I, I for me anyway, in terms of writing the book, it was thinking about the ways that we can get people to think about atheists as atheists and people who say they're spiritual but not religious as spiritual but not religious, and maybe there's some overlap in individuals, but maybe these should be two sort of separate categories in the way that we start thinking about religious groups and publics, certainly in the United States. And uh, I mean, you could speak better for the Australian situation than I can. Um, 
I think we probably should uh, take uh, a moment to talk about, we've had all these really great examples about, you know, the different sort of faiths in the book and, oh, sorry, in the TV shows that you bring up in the book. And I think, you know, um, there's a lot that we could take away from the book as religious studies scholars or, you know, for sociologists as well. What do you think sort of the major take takeaways from the book are? Um, I think the first one is popular culture is something you have to pay attention to. It, it should be part of the data of a religious studies education. Um, in a lot of cases, we teach religion and popular culture as large cash cow courses in universities meant to kind of pull students into the discipline and then get put into quote unquote real courses, uh, real coursework at upper levels. And I think that undervalues the work that's going on in the popular and that popular culture producers are doing themselves. So uh, if the first, one of the first takeaways is this is deep detailed um, material. You know, I read through the book and there are days where I go, Oh man, why didn't I include that example or this example? Um, I threw out way more than I put in, which a lot of people will tell you about their books. So there's still, I mean, I'm, I'm done working on the ser on these three series, but you know, hopefully somebody else will pick it up and in four or five years go, okay, there, there's new material here. Maybe there's been a new direction taken. I mean, South Park for the last two years has done really interesting serial episodes throughout their seasons that are completely different from the stuff they were doing when I was writing the book. And who knows? I mean, the next season could turn completely into a, a massive story arc in which a particular religion or a combination of religious traditions become major players. And that could change the argument that I make about South Park, because, I mean, these are still ongoing programs. And South Park is able to change directions very quickly, depending on where Trey Parker and Matt Stone want to go, unlike The Simpsons and Family Guy, which are such big productions that trying to turn those ships at this point would be uh, incredibly difficult. So that's the first thing. The second thing is jokes aren't just jokes would be the way that I would put it. Humor is grossly understudied as a means of transmitting religious information. And this is one of the arguments in the book that we haven't talked about a whole lot, but you know, I talk about religious satire as running on sort of two different tracks in the book. There's the sense of it's religious satire and that it's jokes about groups that are considered religions. So, you know, there's Mormon jokes in there, there's Scientology jokes, there's two chapters on all different types of Christians, there's Jews, there's Muslims, there's Buddhists, Hindus, 
Native American religious traditions, um, because that's you know where the data was. But at the same time, I argue that the humor itself is doing this work of bringing people into, and here I use a modified version of William James's definition of religion, it, socializing you into an unseen order. And that to me has become, for me personally, one of the major takeaways from this project is that humor itself really socializes people and audiences very quickly, but with a ton of information flying at you into a particular uh, worldview and, you know, we don't pay enough attention to the way that humor is doing that. Humor is treated as something frivolous, but at least through working with this data, I found that it was far from um, just joking. I, I found it to be an incredibly powerful way of getting across that sense of it's funny because it's true. And, you know, this book is sort of written to say, no, things are never funny because, quote unquote, they're true. It's funny because people think they're true. And what are the consequences of socializing people into a big picture of, of how religious diversity should work based on uh, – the jokes that they tell about religious groups. So, yeah, I think those would be the two biggest ones. I mean, there's also this last one that I always find myself bringing out now because, um, you know, I'm a, I've been told I'm a crotchety old liberal arts professor even at the age of 35. But I really do think there's something valuable to thinking through the stuff that we are consuming. Uh, you know, a bad episode of The Simpsons will get millions, literally, more viewers than will ever read my book. Unless, you know, by an act of by an act of God, this becomes some sort of international bestseller. And I'm sure, sure New York University Press would love if that happened. I know I would. Um, sitting down, thinking critically, assessing why we find certain things funny, asking ourselves, well, what was actually portrayed in this episode? Why do I get this joke? Because... One of the experiences that scholars of religion can bring to programs like this is if you have a history of studying anything in religious studies, let's say you're a specialist in Reformed Judaism, you know more about, if you're a specialist in Reformed Judaism, you know more about Reformed Judaism than I do because I'm, I'm not a specialist at all. But you can sit down and you can ask, okay, when they portray Jews, how are they doing that? What images are they drawing upon? What additional information can I bring into this conversation to change the way that people would look at this joke, this data? 
What are the advantages and disadvantages? That old-fashioned critical thinking approach, which, I mean, this is the reason um, that I really like The Simpsons and South Park far more than Family Guy is because I think The Simpsons and South Park have within them a spirit of keeping that critical thinking tradition alive far more than um, far more than Family Guy does. And you can do this from, you know, just by turning on your TV and, you know, I wrote this book in part for students in those religion and pop culture classes, you know, that those large classes where people will show them an episode of The Simpsons or South Park or Family Guy, and you can learn to do this from the get-go. And that's a really important, vital skill for sitting down and asking who you're going to be as a person, as a citizen uh, in this world. Because at least for me, for example, uh, when I was much younger, I would laugh at racist jokes before I ever met people of of different races. I grew up in a predominantly um, small town, white New Brunswick culture, although there was a large native population nearby. And it was after meeting people from different backgrounds that I went back and I thought about jokes that I used to laugh at. I went, you know, they're really not that funny now that I know people that fit. So why did I laugh? And I changed my behavior accordingly. And thinking about laughter at jokes, why you laugh, what you're doing when you laugh, um, you know, jokes transmit a ton of information very quickly. And the more you can think about them, and the better you can think about them, and the clearer you can think about them, the more you can understand the relationships uh, that are going on in society around you. And then you can start asking what you want to do with them. And that's kind of where I left the book at the end was I, I left it open-ended in the sense that I want readers not to stop with the book. I want them to keep thinking after they're done reading it. So that would be the third takeaway. Well, I definitely found the book left me thinking about pop culture and everything I watch now. You know, you laugh and you think, you know, you know you're right. Why did I laugh that? Why is it funny? And, you know, particularly with The Simpsons and South Park and Family Guy, there is so much thought that goes into every single episode. And I really think that I think as, you know, as – you know, the Academy's really kind of clicked on to the politics side of those shows. We've clicked on to the idea that, you know, oh, they're, they're commenting about Trump or they're commenting about American politics, but we haven't really clicked on to the idea that they, they really comment about, about religion. And I think you've really, you've really clicked on to that. And it's something that we can, we can go beyond those three shows and, and really, and really look further into, into pop culture things that perhaps we thought probably, you know, I hope I can say this, things that we thought perhaps weren't worthy of our time before, you know, these shows that we thought were perhaps, you know, a bit lowbrow and, you know, low culture, but they're actually bringing out these ideas that, you know, people are consuming en masse and they're, you know, they are conveying these ideas about religion and this broad commentary that that people are consuming en masse. So, 
you know, thank you so much for, for joining us today. There are so many things in this interview that we can, you know, take forward and we can think about and talk about. So thank you so much for joining us again, Dave. Thank you for having me. Thanks to David Feltmate and Brianne and to New York University Press for approaching us about that episode. Um, if you want to get in touch about an episode for whatever reason, you can do so at editors at religiousstudiesproject.com. So speaking of thanks, um, we just want to take this sort of final moment of addressing the nations, as it were, um, to to just give an extra special shout out to our team at the, the RSP. David, you've had a good deal of help um, uh, this year year with the audio uh, that, that hasn't been there in previous years absolutely yeah so a big thanks to samuel ward and to gregory schneider for um taking over editing the episodes uh this has been a huge contribution um freeing up my time but also you know just systematizing the way that things run and letting chris and i get on with the more uh pressing issues of things like becoming a charity and all sorts of other things. Um, so big thanks to them and also a thanks to Sammy Bishop, who's been uh, doing an amazing job at helping us sort out the finances of this project and really set us up for the future. Mm -hmm. So thanks to all three of you. If you want to help her out and help us out, remember... For festive shopping, Amazon, and remember our Patreon um, at time of recording. 15 patrons, thank you so much. We're really looking for 100 um, in the first instance. And we should we should also thank Jonathan Tuckett for the um, the responses. Mm -hmm. He's been doing a great job coming in there at quite short notice. So uh, thanks yes, to indeed, him and introducing video responses. A lot of them money that we're getting through patreons going towards the production of transcriptions which have been going out every week with these podcasts so thanks so much to helen bradstock for that um thanks also to yana shirley who um had to step down um at the beginning of the year from her role as ops digest editor she'd been doing that for i think at least three years yeah, and we're really stalwart. grateful to yana for that um She's moving on in her career and um, we're just delighted that she was involved for so long and we're sure that you'll hear from her again soon. Um, we should have a new face joining the team in that role in 2018. Um, I've been um, kind of filling in uh, for a while. Thanks also to Ray Radford, who's joined the team as our social media uh, editor. So you've maybe noticing a slight different tone in the social media since September. He's been doing a great job there, keeping things regular, keeping things fresh. So thanks so much to Ray. Yeah, and if you'd like to get involved, either uh, you know writing a response, becoming an interviewer, or taking on one of these uh, editorial jobs, um, if you're, you know, maybe training to be uh, an audio editor in the future. Do get in touch with us. As I said, it's editors at religiousstudiesproject.com, but you can also message us directly on any of the various uh, social media portals. Mm -hmm. We're still not done with thanks because we haven't mentioned Kyle Messick, who's also taken um, over um, some of the running of the website. He'll be ramping that up again in the new year. I've been working quite closely with him. and the Potentially big developments there to happen in the new year if everything goes to plan. And the RSP would literally crumble if it were not for Thomas J. Coleman III. Absolutely. 
Tommy is the bedrock of this entire project. If you send an email to editors, it's Tommy that reads it. It's probably Tommy that will respond. Um, it's the only way that we could possibly um, run the project with the amount of communication and organization that happens. Um, really, Tommy is, we call him the managing editor because uh, it's him who's managing this on a day-to-day -day basis. So big thanks to him. And we're sure we've probably missed some people out there, but we want to say thanks to all of our interviewers um, dotted all over the globe, making these podcasts happen, to all of our features, um, writers and uh, respondents to the podcast, to everyone who's contributed as an interviewee, um, and of course to all of you, um, whether you're a regular subscriber or you've just picked up this um, podcast. Um, we won't say the magic phrase because we're going to say, remember to come back next week for the uh, fantastically fun festive special. But I'll let David close out the year. Thanks for listening for all of 2017 and we'll hear from you in 2018. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. Brought to you by Founders and Editors-in-Chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and Managing Editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett, and our opportunities digest by Yana Shirley. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, with audio assistance from Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget, you can support the project using our Amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or by donating at Patreon.com backslash Project RS. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. <laughs>